when I served the First Reformed Church of Muskegon, which is now closed, every Advent, member Jerry Beninga would request that we definitely sing at some Sunday or Christmas Eve or Christmas morning of Advent and Christmas. At least once, come thou long expected Jesus. And he would say ahead of time, in the proper tune. I've not sung it in August before, and how appropriate and how wonderful, and I like that. It's good to be with you. The word of the Lord is before us. And I encourage you to follow along. I'm using a pew Bible, so I can even give the page number. Uh, But it is, more importantly, Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. The first 15 verses of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 18. And that begins in the pew Bibles on page 16. Let us hear the word of God this morning. Uh, and perhaps not the only time, uh, in the New International uh, Version. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, which, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up, And saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. And by Lord, here he meant a term of respect to a human being. Do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought. And then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three siyas of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. 
Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is apparently the last sermon that you don't have to listen to because I, I'm hearing that next week your, 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 your new pastor will be, will be leading. And uh, she is here, in fact, this morning. And so, um, and so uh, your vacation time is almost over. <clears throat> also, um, I'm thinking that we ought to... Uh, we ought to pray that uh, North Holland Church will uh, um, uh, sometime finally be able to afford a drum kit. <clears throat> or that you'll be able to pay for the repairs of yours if it's in the shop right now. But No, <laughs> it sounded wonderful. In my... Um, Retirement, I have uh, preached in many Zealand classes, churches of the Reformed Church, uh, but I've never uh, had the privilege of being at North Holland, uh, either uh, as a worship leader or as a worshiper or at a meeting or at an event of any kind, a dinner. Uh, this is my first time on the grounds, and uh, thank you for the invitation. It's good, uh, it's good to be here. <clears throat> my wife and I... Uh, have recently joined the Fifth Reformed Church of Grand Rapids, which is not too far from where we live. And so we are involved there. And uh, I trust that uh, with her car, she is, she is there this morning or will be when their uh, 10 o'clock service um, began about eight minutes ago. Well, <clears throat> it is uh, late uh, summer. And uh, people are beginning to think about back to school. And if any of you out there are in uh, uh, sports, uh, you may already be back at practice uh, for a school uh, athletic activity. But we are smack in the middle of the long six-month season of Pentecost on the church calendar, which began uh, this year on the 26th. On the 15th of May, this past May, and goes until the beginning of Advent, which this year is the last Sunday of November. So we're right in the middle of that six month season the season of green, the season of witness, the season in which we 
seek to live out the implications of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, whose life and ministry we observed in the other half of the year through his advent and birth and ministry and passion and death and ascension. During Pentecost, one of the lectionary selections is this Genesis passage. Actually, it's for July 17, which was also uh, during this Pentecost season. It's the account of Abraham and Sarah, uh, Sarah, his wife, having three special visitors. And the implications of this visit that they received are staggering. And I thought that we could take a look at it today. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the 1998 uh, movie, Amistad, which I believe was based on the book Black Mutiny, one of the central characters in the movie, Sinke, uh, is helping his lawyer battle for himself and his people, his fellow slaves, who have been forcibly and illegally brought to the New World from Africa in 1839, first to the Caribbean and then in a smaller ship up the coast to New England, to the United States. Now, this is before emancipation. So slavery is still legal in the United States. And Sinke helps his lawyer understand who his people are and why they should be allowed to return to their homes in Africa. And, of course, he's doing all this through translation because he doesn't know English. Sinke says to his lawyer in a private meeting before the two of them go before the United States Supreme Court to argue their case. And in the movie, his lawyer is the former president of the United States, now in uh, retirement, John Adams. I quote from the movie the Steven Spielberg version of uh, what is uh, allegedly an historical uh, set of events. Sinke says to his lawyer, and hear these words, if you will, I will call into the past, far back to the beginning of time, and beg my ancestors to come and help me. I will reach back and draw them into me, and they must come. For at this moment, I am the whole reason they have existed at all. Now, Sinke could not have been a Christian unless some European missionaries converted him before he was forcibly brought to the New World. He was probably a tribal animist from his own home culture. And this may have been a fictional account of what actually happened. But consider, if you will, his words that I just read to you as a metaphor of of our status 
as 21st century Jesus followers today. In other words, I ask you, as we look at Abraham and his visitors from Genesis 18, to personalize it to your own spiritual lives. When God set that ancestral line in motion, uh, that line to Christ, beginning with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, consider that he did it with your salvation in mind. Consider that at this moment, you are the whole reason those Old Testament patriarchs existed at all. Now, obviously, God's grand sweep of salvation is far broader than you and me. The work of his son is bigger than that. But in this sermon this morning, for a few minutes, I would ask you to think of it in this personal way. So let's take a look at the story. Abraham is in Canaan. He has followed God's call earlier, and it's an earlier Genesis chapters than the one we read this morning. He has followed God's call to go from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in modern day, which was in modern day Iraq, as far as we know, uh, to Paden Aram, northwest to Paden Aram, which uh, was in modern day south central Turkey. And then from there, he went south to Canaan. And then due to a famine, he took his small family further south to Egypt for refuge. This is early, early Old Testament. And then due to deceit on Abraham's part, having to do with his wife, and it's recorded in Genesis 12, the then Pharaoh of Egypt kicked them out and Abraham and his family returned to Canaan. And they settled in Judah, in Hebron, west of the Dead Sea and south of Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Those small settlements were Semitic Towns with different names then. They weren't called Bethlehem and, Ju and Jerusalem. And they were not Jewish at all. And uh, Abraham and his small family settled there. By now, Abraham has become wealthy. And he's sitting by his tent in the hot early afternoon. August, let's say. He's about to experience a theophany, a theophany, an appearance of God. The Bible makes clear in a way that our modern secular culture consistently resists that human history is in part a series of encounters with God. Now, we, ex we just accept that as, as Christians we know this, but modern Western culture, American culture, pretends that it isn't true. 
Human history is nothing but an account of human events by creatures that have finally evolved up from apes and now they are forming their own destiny and they're making their own decisions. We accept the fact that the Bible's view of history is quite different. That God is in the picture and that human history is a result of a series of encounters with the living God. Well, in this true story from Genesis 18, we see one of the most magnificent and important and central and pivotal examples of that. The theophany begins in verse 2, which says, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. But you see, these three, uh, as Mark intimated uh, when he began the service, um, were not human. It was the Lord, and it would appear two angels in human form. You could say they were Star Trek changelings. Because they appeared to be three men, and Abraham doesn't yet know who they are. And in typical ancient Near East hospitality, Abraham asked them to stay a while since they have apparently crossed his path somewhat coincidentally, somewhat accidentally in their travels, as far as Abraham knows. And so he asked them to honor him by staying a while and allowing him in this time of no inns and no restaurants and no, no 7-Elevens and, and uh, places to uh, get refreshment along the way, to stay and rest. And he will bring water to wash their feet and a tree under which they can have shade and he will prepare a meal. Very well, they answered, do as you say. This is verses 3 through 5. Of course, (laughs) they were counting on Abraham making this offer. Because he was their destination, though Abraham, as I said, did not know that. Well, Abraham was their destination, as well as subsequently Sodom and Gomorrah. But that is another story. Very much another story, although it begins in the second half of this same chapter. So they eat. And um, we ought to remember the words of Hebrews 13, where the writer of Hebrews perhaps had this in mind when he said, When the writer said in the New Testament book of Hebrews, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Abraham hurries into his tent and he says to Sarah, Quick, 
get three sias of flour, fine flour, knead it, and bake some bread. He runs to his flock and gives instructions to his servant to prepare a calf. And he gets some milk and curds, and he sets a fine meal before his guests. While they ate, he stood by them in ancient Near East fashion, ready to meet any further hospitality needs that his guests, that his three guests might have had. Verse 8 says in part, they stood near, he stood near them under a tree. Now, while they're eating, it would appear, one of them asks, the Lord asks, Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? We're getting to the point, of course, of their visit. And Abraham answers the question. The tent is behind Abraham, and I imagine him pointing behind him and saying something like this in answer to the question. There. Over there. She's in the tent. That's verse 9. In verse 10, we begin the point of it all. The divine part of this trilogy, the Lord speaks and gives Abraham the message he came to give. Sarah was listening behind the tent flaps. And so we note that Sarah and Abraham hear the message of the Lord simultaneously and direct both of them hear it directly from the source. So there is no possibility of misunderstanding. And for this message, we move on to our next and final point. The message is stupendous. It's the first half of verse 10. With the Lord God speaking, we hear, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, as we said, Sarah is eavesdropping behind the tent flaps. And due to her old age, she does not take it seriously. She laughs, as we know. She lies about laughing out of fear, and the Lord confronts her and reproves her for it. But Sarah finally comes around, and her pregnancy helps during these nine months as she slowly comes to accept and believe the unbelievable. But back to our message, back to God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. Sarah, your wife, will have a son. In this short passage, the message is given by the Lord two times. This is obviously not going to be any ordinary son. Now, as we know, some 13 years earlier, Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, bore a son to Abraham. He's 13 now. His name was Ishmael. 
And Ishmael means God hears. But God was not finished yet. God was not finished. Now, it's a little different. When Ishmael was born, Abraham was 86 years old. He's 99 at this point. And God in human form, as his house guest, as his tent guest, you might say, gives him this message, him and Sarah, this message of another son. And, of course, the son to be born, as we know, was Isaac. Christians acknowledge that Jesus Christ has two natures, divine and human. As divine, he's part of the Godhead. And we're taught in the New Testament book of Colossians that by him all things were created and in him all things hold together. The non-human part of that creation all accomplished long before human beings ever existed. Helping to set the universe. Helping to establish the laws of physics that we now have come to discover. co-creator with his heavenly father. As human, he has a Jewish ancestry, which goes back directly to Abraham and Isaac. Goes back directly. And in Genesis 18, our passage this morning, it's recorded that Abraham and Sarah had a visitor. This is why. God takes his time as we count time, but he puts it all together. I didn't know till I got into the chapel this morning how appropriate, in some ways, the next part of my sermon is with uh, Jed. My daughter, um, Jessica, my Hope College grad daughter, I'll just throw that out because of where we are, um, is due to have a baby in about three weeks. She and uh, Mike, our son-in-law, live in Denver, and we're going to be out there, my wife and I, for the birth. It's her second child. It's another daughter. Everything is fine so far, and uh, we anticipate We're excited. It's a neat thing. We anticipate that this daughter to be born will grow to adulthood and come to glorify God in her generation. But this daughter to be born, they're still working on names yet. Don't ask. They've come up with some doozies as possibilities. Not my business. This baby to be born does not fit into the long-term historical development of God's salvation plan for mankind, as did the promised Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's offspring. She, my granddaughter, my fetal granddaughter, 
uh, like the rest of us, rather, fits into the implications of this salvation plan. When God visited Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18 to announce that Isaac would come in about a year, Jesus would not be born for approximately 2,000 years. And when he came, don't we know, his death and resurrection completed the plan. God does not forget. So, is this an historical lecture this morning? Far from it. When you doubt God's activity in your life, or that he has heard your prayers, think of three things, if you would. Think of Abraham's visitors and the son prophesied by the Lord to be born in one year. Think of Jesus' birth, number two. And think of the 2,000 years in between those two points, number three. He will make sense of your life as he has made clear his salvation plan through the ages. We're not saying, I'm not saying that God is going to take 2,000 years to make sense of your life. What I'm saying is, our God, our triune God, is a sure thing. God puts it all together. What are you struggling with? Finances? Employment issues? I'm a visitor here. I don't, I don't know what the specifics might be. Parental issues, regardless of the age of your son or daughter. Not knowing how to build the bridges that have been washed away with that parental relationship. What are you struggling with? Being an effective Christian witness in our world today, in our increasingly diverse, antagonistic, and secular world? Are you struggling with how to do that? Are you struggling with the fact that if you brought a non-Christian friend to worship this morning... And this guest minister said to this non-Christian visitor, uh, Abraham got visited by angels and they were in human form and it ties in with something that happened 2,000 years later in our salvation. They would say, you know, that doesn't fit my scientific definition of the cause and effect world I live in. We live in a culture that throws this stuff out. And that's not news to any of you if you 
have anything to do with your culture and your society. How do I witness as a lay Christian into that kind of a lion's den? What are you struggling with? Perhaps it's health issues and you're discouraged and you're facing surgery. In verse 14 of our passage, we read it. The Lord puts a rhetorical question to Abraham in reference to his wife laughing about her pending pregnancy. Her admittedly unlikely pregnancy, but it happened. And the Lord says, asks Abraham rhetorically, is anything too hard for the Lord? And you cannot miss the fact that that rhetorical question in a slightly different form is echoed in Luke chapter 1. When in another theophany of sorts, Gabriel says to Mary, For nothing is impossible with God. So put your life, and it's good and it's bad, however you define good and bad, in God's hands for tomorrow and the next day and the next. Sometimes through days, sometimes, thankfully, through only hours, Sometimes through millennia, our God does not forget. And he makes sense out of what you and I cannot. It happens all the time. Take heart about all of the matters in your life. And those things that you may well be struggling with as you go through this world. And be thankful for your salvation. Don't miss the fact that your salvation through Christ has been worked out through ages and ages going way back to Abraham's time. Hear this. Abraham and Sarah had some visitors around 2000 B.C. And when they did, God had you and you and me in mind. It's stupendous. All we can do is fall to our knees and praise him. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your grand sweep We thank you that we're part of that. And we thank you that it's not a broom that sweeps things under a rug, but rather it's a tidal wave of God's activity that just comes in and comes home and comes due. We thank you, Lord, that you're in our lives. 
take us through the struggles we have, the fears we have, whatever we're facing. Dear Lord, be with us on that phone call, whatever it is, on that document that we are called upon to sign, on that fearful semester that lies ahead of us as we begin school in a few weeks. And that teacher we think we have, but we don't want. Dear Lord, go with us. We thank you, Lord, that you have been with many generations of your people. And especially we thank you that through your grand plan, divine and human combined, with Abraham and Sarah's instrumentality, you brought the God-man to earth. And that makes all the difference. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we praise. Amen.